tired of hearing about the blood. Do you? Let's stand, please. Everybody's standing. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Here's the most familiar verse in the entire Bible. I'm going to ask you to quote it with me or read it as I quote it. All together, John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Perhaps when you were a little boy or girl and went to Sunday school for the first time, the first verse that your teacher ever taught you to memorize was John chapter 3 and verse 16. Thousands and thousands of sermons have been preached on this text. And you may have heard dozens yourself. But here's the wonderful thing about it. No two sermons that you've heard on this verse are alike. And it's impossible to explain the depth of John 3.16. I call this the sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven. Every song that's ever written is written in a particular key. Our song, the sweetest song ever side of this side of heaven, is written in the key of be saved. Be saved. Do you know that there have been nationwide revivals started as a result of the preaching on John 3.16? In 1891, a tribe in India called the Toluga had the message preached on John 3.16. That day, there were 2,222 people that received Christ. In the next five weeks, there were 5,000 people that received Christ. In the next ten months, there were 10,000 people that received Christ. And it was all through the preaching of John 3.16. Our song, the sweetest song ever sung this side of heaven, in the key of these saved, has four movements to it. First of all, notice please the cause, the first part of the verse. For God so loved the world. That little word so is the biggest word in the English language. The songwriter said, could we with think the ocean fill, or were the skies a parchment made? Would every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. For God so loved the world. Ephesians 3 and verse 18 says, It's impossible to comprehend the height, the depth, the breadth, or the width of the love of God. Ephesians 3 and verse 19, And to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Ephesians 5 and verse 2, And walk in love, as Christ hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Galatians 2 and verse 20, And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who... Loved me and gave himself for me. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 14. For it is the love of Christ that constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God so loved the world. Perhaps the greatest love that's known to mankind is the love that a mother has for that little baby. How many of you women are mothers? Would you raise your hand, please? All right, let me ask you a question. You remember the night those labor pains started? You say, how in the world could I ever forget them? All right, they started out slowly, didn't they? And they kept intensifying. And they kept intensifying. And just before that little baby was born, you thought it was impossible to remain sane and experience that type of pain. Well, let me ask you a question, Mother. How long did it take you to forget that pain? The moment you held that little bundle of joy in your arms, that pain was a distant memory. Think of it. Who is it that stays up at 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning and puts coal packs on that baby's head when it has 103, 104 degree temperature? Is it the husband? Not on your life. You see, when she, that mother brings that baby home from the hospital, her ear is attuned to that crib. Next morning she gets up and she says, Honey, did you hear the baby turn over last night? Husband said, I didn't hear anything. But ladies and gentlemen, I'm talking about something that far exceeds the love that a mother has for that little baby. The love that God has for you. You know the difference outside of the resurrection of Christ between religion and Christianity? Christianity majors on the individual. Religion majors on the masses. You see, if you had been the only person born on planet earth, Jesus Christ would have left the royalties of heaven, walked a sin-cursed earth, and gone to an old rugged cross for you. He's a God of the individual, for God so loved the world. Number one, that love is unconditional. Romans chapter 10 and verse 21, it says, But to Israel he saith, All day long have I stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a gainsaying people. That love is unconditional. A woman who had been a prostitute came to a preacher one night and she said, Preacher, I want to be saved, and I'm going to be saved, but I cannot be saved like I am. She said, what I'm going to do is clean up my life, and then I'm going to get saved. He said, ma'am, those are your conditions. They're not God's conditions. You come to Jesus Christ just like you are. She said, but preacher, you don't understand how I've been. If I told you my life... It would embarrass you. It would embarrass me. I can't get saved like I am. When I clean up, then I'm going to get saved. The preacher said, ma'am, just like you are. She went home thinking, just as I am. She got in her bed and could not sleep the wee hours of the morning. She got down on her knees and she called out to God to save her soul. After Charlotte Elliott was saved, she wrote these words, Just as I am, 
without one plea. But that thy blood was shed for me. And as thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. You say, Brother Comfort, I've been a pornographer. He wants you this morning. You say, I've been an adulterer. He wants you this morning. You say, I've been a blasphemer. He wants you this morning. And the greatest bargain you will ever have is this. Though your sins be as scarlet, He wants to make them as white as snow. That love is unconditional. Number two, it is undeserved. A man came to me in Kansas City and he said, Brother Comfort, I go downtown and I see these dirty, stinking, smelly hippies. And he said, it makes me sick. I said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I said, how do you think you looked to God before God saved you? I said, you think God looked down and He saw somebody who dressed nicely, had a good personality, took a bath, wore deodorant, said, I'll save him because he'll be a help to my cause. I said, sir, that's not why God saved you or me. And I said, let me remind you of something. We didn't look so beautiful to God before God saved us. John fifteen thirteen says, And greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But we were not his friends, folks. We were his enemies. Ephesians 2 and verse 1, We were dead in trespasses and in sin. Ephesians 2 and verse 2, we were children of disobedience. Ephesians 2 and verse 3, we were children of wrath. Ephesians 2 and verse 12, we were strangers. We were aliens in our mind by wicked works. Ephesians 2 and verse 13, we were afar off. But Romans 5 and verse 8 says, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners... Christ died for us. An atheist came to Bughouse Square in Chicago. Bughouse Square is exactly what the name implies. It's a place where the heretics come and they propagate their false doctrine. Well, on this occasion, the atheist had a large crowd assembled before him. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm here for one reason. He said, I'm going to take five minutes and I'm going to prove to you that there's no God. He said, now at the end of that five minutes, if there's anybody stupid enough to believe in a God, he said, I want you to take the platform. He looked at his watch and he said, God, (laughs) if there is a God in heaven, I'll give you five minutes to strike me dead. He paced the platform. He said, what's wrong? Has your God gone on vacation? God, you've only got three minutes. Strike me dead if you're up there. He kept pacing the platform. He said, now God, a lot of people are not going to believe in you. If you're up there, you've got 30 seconds to strike me dead. Five minutes were up. He said, you see, I told you there was no God. He said, is there anybody in this crowd stupid enough to believe in a God? Finally, a young man raised his hand and he said, Sir, I'd like to take the platform. On down the aisle ran a young man from Moody Bible Institute. When he came to the platform, he said, Ladies and gentlemen, on my way over here today, I met a little boy. His clothes were dirty and ragged. And I could tell he hadn't had a bath in such a long time. 
So he said, I went over to him and I said, young man, I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to take you to a restaurant and buy you a meal. Little boy balled up his fist and he said, get away from me. I'll have nothing to do with you. He said, I took a step closer and I said, young man, you don't understand. I want to give you a meal. I'd like to give you some money. Little boy said, get away from here. I'll have nothing to do with you. He said, I thought I would try one more time. So I walked over to him, put my hand on his shoulder, a show of affection. And I said, young man, I'm your friend. I want to buy you a meal, give you some money, and buy you some clothes. The little boy said, get your dirty hands off of me. I'll have nothing to do with you. He said, ladies and gentlemen, there's only one reason why I didn't slap that little boy's face. Because I loved him. He said, this atheist has gotten up here today and he has blasphemed the God of heaven. He said, there's only one reason why the God of heaven did not strike him dead. Because he loves him. You know what happened that day in Bugout Square? Over 100 people received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because somebody stood up and told them that Jesus Christ loved them. The cause for God's soul loved the world. The cost that He gave His only begotten Son. I love to hear definitions of grace. Somebody says grace is unmerited favor. Somebody else says grace is an acrostic. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. I like that. But I like what the black preacher said. Grace is God minus you plus nobody. It's all of God. I want to remind you ladies and gentlemen, although grace is free, it certainly wasn't cheap. It certainly wasn't cheap. God Almighty looked all over heaven and there was not an angel good enough to pay the price for my sin on Calvary. So He sent His only Son. I have three daughters. They are the joy of my life. I never preach, but what I look at the pictures of my three daughters... In the 52 years I've been in evangelism, I've had the privilege of preaching around the world many times. Preached in 34 countries and 48 states in America. And during those 52 years, God has given us hundreds of thousands of friends. But folks, I don't have one friend that I would let one of my daughters die for. I'll go farther than that. I wouldn't take all of my hundreds of thousands of friends together and let one of my daughters die for all of my hundreds of thousands of friends. Ladies and gentlemen, God didn't have three sons. He only had one. He didn't let His son die for His friends. He let His son die for the ungodly. Romans 5 and verse 6. A young man by the name of Andy was on his way home from work one night. And as he was passing by a field, he noticed a bungalow on fire. And all of a sudden, Andy remembered there are two boys that live in this bungalow. Andy, not thinking about his own life, ran into the bungalow, took a child under each arm, covered them with his coat, and he brought them to safety without a scratch or a burn on their bodies. Andy's arms were burnt to a crisp all the way up to the elbows. The boy's parents were burned alive in the flames. A couple months passed and the boys were up for adoption. 
Only two people applied for the adoption. One was the town mayor. The other was Andy. The day of awarding the children, Andy was standing before the judge. And the judge said, Andy, before I award these children to their future parents, he said, I've got one question to ask you. And how you answer this question will determine who gets these children. He said, Andy, look at this mayor. He's got a place of prominence. He's got a lot of property and a beautiful home. He said he could give these boys anything their little hearts desire. He said, Andy, I've checked your bank account. You're a poor working man. You don't even have a penny in the savings account. You couldn't do anything for these boys that this mayor could do. He said, Andy, here's my question. What right do you have to these two little boys? Andy didn't say a word. You know what he did? He just held up his hands. My dear friend, you look at God this morning and you say, God, what right do you have to my life? All Jesus has to do is hold up His nail-pierced hands. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21, For He, that's God, hath made Him, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. First Peter 2 and verse 24, Who His own self bear in His own body our sins on the tree. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18, For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. The cause, for God so loved the world. The cost that He gave His only begotten Son. Number three, the condition that whosoever believeth in Him. Many years ago, I was in Colorado for a meeting, and the pastor told me about a lady he had been dealing with and trying to win her to Christ. But he felt like he was getting nowhere with her. She had been Roman Catholic, and she had been told that she had to keep the seven sacraments. And so he thought the best thing he could do was leave her a Gospel of John. And after she read it, for her to call him, and he'd come to her house and get her... Uh, uh, impressions of the Gospel of John. He said, Brother Comfort, she's called me today. And I'm going over to see her and get her impressions of the Gospel of John. He said, would you like to come with me? I said, Preacher, I'd be glad to. And I'm glad I did, Pastor. This is classic. We sat down in this lady's living room. And she said, Preacher, I don't understand it. She said, I have read the Gospel of John through. She said, all of my life I've been told there are commandments I have to keep. There are sacraments I have to observe. She said, I don't find any of that in the book of John. She said, you know, the only condition I find for salvation in the book of John is that I just have to believe. He said, ma'am, that's what I've tried to tell you. Listen carefully. Ninety-eight times in the Gospel of John, the word believe or its equivalent is used. Here are some. John 1 and verse 12. But as many as received Him, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that 
believed on his name. John 3.15 That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John 3.18 He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. John 3 and verse 36 He that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 5 and verse 24 Verily I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. John 6 and verse 35, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. John seven thirty-seven and 38, In that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he that believeth on me, as the Scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. John 8 and verse 24, I said therefore unto you, that if ye be Believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. John eleven twenty five and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. John 12 and verse 46. I am come a light into the world, and he that believeth in me shall not abide in darkness. Now listen carefully how God sums up the book of John. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. Get it? But these are written that she might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that believing, ye might have life through His name. So ladies and gentlemen, they preached this morning about look and live. You come to Christ and believe He died for you, you can have everlasting life. Now, let me ask you a question. What if I were to go down in Charlotte on Monday at noon, and I were to have an interview on the street, and I were to ask 100 people, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Probably 95 at least would say, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. But let me ask you a question. Does that mean that 95 are saved? No. You know what James says about that? James 2 and verse 19, Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now what's he saying? The devils believe, but they're still devils. Alright, here's the principle. If when you went down that aisle to get saved, if there was no change in your life, you got a counterfeit. You never got the real thing. Here's a statement. A faith that does not change a person's life does not save a person's soul. Can I repeat that? A faith that does not change a person's life does not save a person's soul. I heard a preacher when I was 15 years old make this statement. There are 18 inches difference between heaven and hell. He said, if you believe in your head, it will take you to hell. But if you believe in your heart, it will transform your life and take you to heaven. And 60 years ago, as a 15-year-old boy, I traded a head knowledge for a heart knowledge. And I exchanged an eternity in hell for an eternity in heaven. Now, here's the difference. Many, many years ago, there was a tightrope walker who was world-renowned by the name of Blondin. 
Blondin got an idea that he was going to attend something nobody had ever uh, gone through with. Many had attempted to cross the Niagara on a tightrope, but nobody had ever done it. So he announced that on a particular day, he was going to make his historic trek across the Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Well, the wire service has picked it up for months. And they kept announcing the day when Blondin would make his historic trek. Well, the day came. The banks of the Niagara were filled with curious onlookers. And that day, as Blondin came to the platform, they stood there in hushed silence. And he started his trek. He started slowly. He heightened his pace. And by the time he got to the other side, he was trotting. They clapped and they applauded and they cheered. They had seen history made. Blondin said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, how many of you believe that I can take a man in a wheelbarrow and push him across the Niagara Falls on the tightrope in a wheelbarrow? How many of you believe that? They clapped and they applauded and they cheered. Sure, they believed him. They saw what he had just done. He said, all right, who will be that person? Finally, a man raised his hand and said, Mr. Blunden, I'll be that person. He came to the platform, placed himself on the wheelbarrow, and Blondin took him safely across the tightrope in the wheelbarrow. Question, how many said they believed in Blondin? All of them. How many really believed in Blondin? One. Have you ever believed to the saving of your soul? Number one, the cause for God's soul of the world. Number two, the cost that He gave His only begotten Son. Number three, the condition that whosoever believeth in Him, finally the consequence, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, there's a contrast in that phrase. First of all, you have the word perish. That means hell. Then you have the words everlasting life. That means heaven. Heaven is a place, John 14 and verse 3, and if I go away and prepare a place for you, heaven is a place. Hell is a place. The rich man in hell, Luke 16, 28, lest they come into this place of torment. Have you ever thought about this? There are three things that are the same about heaven and hell. Number one, they both last the same amount of time. Number two, there is no exit from either one. And number three, they that go there will be there forever. I have in my library a book entitled Testimonies of Dying Saints and Dying Sinners. And it talks about people in years gone by, just before they crossed the river of death, they had a glimpse of the hereafter. You know how D.L. Moody died? As he was on his deathbed, his son was standing beside of his bed. D.L. Moody looked up and he said, Earth recedes. Heaven opens before me. He said, Is this death? Why, there's no valley here. His son said, Dad, keep quiet. You've been dreaming. He said, Son, I haven't been dreaming. He said, I've already been within the gates of heaven. I've already seen the smile on my grandchildren's faces who are in heaven. He said, this is my coronation day. This is triumph. This is glory. 
Hey, on the other hand, do you know how the infidel Voltaire died? As he was on his deathbed, his infidel friends came in to see him. Voltaire mustered all of his dying strength and raised himself from the bed and to the top of his lungs screamed, Get him out of here! Get him out of here! He said, You have damned my soul to hell, and I don't want to see the sight of your face in my dying moments. You know what his infidel friends did? They put a watch of infidels outside of his bedroom for two solid months, lest anybody should come in and see how an infidel died. You know how Voltaire finally died? His body was convulsing. And he was screaming, Get my feet out of the flames! Get my feet out of the flames! His dying words, I wish I had never been born. The nurse that attended the death of Voltaire said this, She would never again, for all the money of London, England, Watch another infidel die. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if what you have this morning is not good enough to die by, it is not good enough to live by. And I can remember going home from being with the teenagers, and I was afraid my mom and dad would come in my bedroom and smell my breath and find out what I had been drinking and with whom I had been out. And I can remember night after night tossing and turning and saying, God, where would I go if I died tonight? God, where would I go if I died tonight? Thank God I don't have to do that anymore. When I put my head on my pillow tonight, I know that absent from the body is present with the Lord. I love to sing the song when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. One thing bothers me about that song. When I've been in heaven 10,000 years, there will have been people in hell 10,000 years. And that's only breakfast time in eternity. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm going to ask my 